Webster. Thank you, congregation, for accepting us. <clears throat> now, my sermon is going to be on Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Would you please turn there for me, with me? Got it? Okay, let's begin. <clears throat> My sermon is entitled, God Got Your Number. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining us on this special occasion. We do not take this step lightly, and we know that this is an honor and a privilege to be here, so we really do appreciate your support. Now, without any kind of uh, further ado, let's jump into the word. My sermon comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. The verse reads, My son, to be politically correct in this day and age, it should say daughters also. Do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. The first two words tell us that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Just like a father gives teachings to his family and teaches them different things, so does our Lord. The Lord's commandments and laws are our guidelines that shape our very existence and our very walk with him. These commandments are like a priceless treasure that we should hold close to ourselves and let them be a treasure that we should hold on to and let no one steal away from us. These commandments pave a way in life that is pleasing and acceptable to God. This is to show you that our, how our conduct and our guidelines interact, that we might experience whatever's on the table, that we know that the Father is with us as long as we carry his words in our heart. This way you know in your mind and heart Wherever you stand, whatever you experience, this God's got your back. So just like the credit card that says, don't leave home without it, our Lord says, don't leave home without these commandments. They should be with you everywhere and not put on a shelf until next Sunday. These commandments are like a lifeline for us. Just like the air and water and food that we need, these, command these commandments are a vital part of life. Now let's jump to verse two. It says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. 
we know in our hearts that there's a, there is just only a certain amount of time that we are going to be here on earth. So let's dig a little bit deeper than that. We hear that someone or somebody or some relative has passed unexpectedly. And then you know and I know, and which I have experienced in the last two years, my daughter passed unexpectedly, that there is a preset date that we must leave here and be called back to our Lord, our Creator. So we are not, we, we do not know that we cannot live here all together, all for any kind of length of time, without being called back by our Father, our Creator, our Lord, Jesus. Since his days are determined, now join with me in chapter 14, verse 5. Also, got it? It says, since his days are determined and the numbers of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. So that being said, we all have a preset date that we will be called back to our Creator, and that date is set by our Lord. And the purpose that we are sent here for will be completed so that we live only to serve our Lord, and we must cherish and hold on to those things that we come in contact with, those individuals, those families, those co-workers, all of those folks. We must appreciate each and every one of them. So brothers and sisters, God has an overall plan and has made a physical body that can last only for that purpose. So let us be mindful that the Lord is in control and has sent, a, sent up a design date when this body will no longer be here. So this, should be, so this should tell us not to abuse our bodies, but be thankful for the time we are here. Please uh, go to with me to uh, Psalms 37. Verse 23, it says, the steps of a man are established by the, by the Lord, which he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. While we follow these commandments, it will bring us the benefits that the Lord has ascribed to us. And that is my sermon, folks. Amen.
Only one, Rob. <sighs> so the word up there, can y'all hear me? You can hear? Okay, good. The word up there is work. Okay, work. <clears throat> I have to move around. Work, it's, it's a very short word, only four letters, right? It sounds kind of funny, work, work, it's, it's odd. But that little word dominates so much of our life. Just think about it. When we're not at work, we're thinking about work. When uh, it's not in the forefront of our mind, it's in the background. Even if we're doing something that we enjoy, we're thinking about work. Earlier today, I was listening to Pastor Spencer's service, and I was thinking, dang it, work is tomorrow. Just like that, the weekend is gone. Men work. Women work. Teenagers work. Even kids work. I'm going to tell you a story about my friend. We'll call him George. I don't really have a friend named George, but just, you know. This is going to be on camera. I don't want him to come back and be mad at me, you know. So my friend George, uh, a few weeks ago, he worked 70 hours in five days. Seven zero in five days. Not 40, not 50, not seven, 70. So I'm thinking, wow, George, that is awesome. You made some good money that week. What he does now, I used to do. So I know exactly how much he made. Wow, George did amazing. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, George was out of his house for 70 hours in in a five-day span. That's a lot. To me, that's a lot. And I'm, I'm asking myself, why? Why do we work? Why do we work so hard? Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11, will um, give us a little bit of insight onto that. Okay, so remember, the first question we're going to answer is why we work. So let's keep that on our mind while I read this. We got it? Proverbs 6? Okay. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any officer... I'm sorry, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Okay, so what was the question? Why do we work? What is the answer? We don't want to be like the sluggard. Why? (laughs) It's very simple. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Nobody wants that. Right? Amen? Amen? Right, right. So what if you don't know what a sluggard is? A sluggard is a lazy person. Okay? There's other versions of the Bible where it says instead of sluggard, it says lazy bones. So just read that verse again, but every time you see sluggard, replace it with lazy bones if you don't fully understand. Better yet, there's another version of the Bible. I think it's the message. It says 
It doesn't say sluggard. It doesn't say lazy bones. It says fool. So every time you see sluggard, replace it with fool. Nobody wants to be a fool, a sluggard, or a lazy bones. Right? Right. Instead, we want to be like the ant. Right? Look at the ant. I'm going to say she, because in my mind, for some reason, this ant is a woman. She gathers. She prepares. She's disciplined. She does all these things without any officer, without any chief, without anyone telling her to do these things. Right? So that's what we want to be like. We want to be like the Proverbs 6 ant. I know it sounds a little funny, but think about it. Have you ever seen an ant sleep? I haven't. Whenever you see an ant, what is the ant doing? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, nonstop. Back, even the queen ant, she do this, do that, do that. It's always, the ant is always moving. The ant's like me a little bit. You know, it can't, it can't stop. Okay, but work. Okay, so for, for me, work is I go to my job. That's my work. But if you're a student, if you're 16 or 17, your work is going to school. Your work is studying for good grades. That's your work. So when you're in school, think about the Proverbs 6 ant. The teacher doesn't have to tell you to study, just do it, just like the ant. Just do, the ant just does it. Let's say you're um, a homemaker or a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A housewife, house husband. Take care of your household the way the Proverbs 6 ant take, does its work. Be a hard worker. What does that mean? So if you have to pay the bills, pay the bills. If you have to make lunches, make lunches. Whatever you do, be like the Proverbs 6 ant. Right? We got it? Got it. Good. So when I first saw this verse, these couple of verses, I was like, oh, slugger and ant, that's easy. That's the easiest scripture in the Bible. Be like the ant, don't be like the sluggard. I can, I can preach that. I think I can. <clears throat> but of course, there's other places in the Bible that talks about that word work. And, and Pastor Spencer hit the draw it out of me. He was like, what? I forgot what he said. He, was, he said something like, is there anywhere else in the Bible that talks about work? And me, I'm just like, Genesis? He said, right, right. He said, yes. So now the second question we must answer is, are there any other reasons why we work? We know how to work. We know how, like the ant. Now why? Why are we working besides avoiding poverty, besides avoiding Want because if you're rich or you're wealthy, that's not going to come up on you anyway. Is there another reason, you know? Or better yet, there might be some people who are like, "I'm not going to work hard. If poverty comes to me, fine, fine, I'll I'll accept that." But there's more to it. So let's turn to Genesis, the very beginning, Genesis chapter two, verse verse fifteen, Genesis two fifteen. So. We're trying to answer the question, is there any other, other reason to work? We know how, but why? Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. There's that word again, work, right? That funny little word. So, Scroll down just a few verses. Just scroll down on your Bible till you get to Genesis 2.20. It's not very far. Let's read that. 
the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Let's stop there for now. 2.15, God told him to work. You're going to work the garden. 2.20, he's naming all the animals on planet Earth. What is that? He's working. Adam is working. Right? Right. So look, stay there at 2.20. Just scroll down a little bit more till you get to chapter 3. In my Bible, chapter 3 is titled, The Fall. Yours too? Right. Wait, hold on. The work stuff came before the fall. I always thought that work was punishment for the fall. No, it's not. God created us to work. What was one of the many things that he wants us to do was work. If you don't believe me, you just saw, we scrolled together, 215, 220, and we got to chapter three. All this happened before the fall, so work is not punishment. Work is something that we created to do, right? All right, let's scroll back up to Genesis 2.20. I left, I left you guys there. So let's go back to 2.20. The first sentence says, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So this just came to me like a couple days ago, this part here. I think it was maybe Wednesday night or Thursday night. This, this part came to me. This part about a helper, you don't need a helper to sleep. You don't need a helper to rest, right? You need a helper to do what? Work. Right, and what kind of work? Probably hard work, because if the work is easy, you don't need a helper. This is probably gonna be some difficult work. So <clears throat> I won't even get into the helper, but you guys know who that is. You know, maybe Pastor Spencer will preach on that some other time, <laughs> but look. But look here, look, I have a, a quote from John MacArthur, which states, work was an important and dignified part of representing the image of God and serving him even before the fall. So if you guys don't take away anything from me up here, just remember, work came before the fall. Work is not a punishment. No matter how much you don't like your boss, coworkers, or for like somebody like me, the restaurants around my job are horrible. So I, I have nowhere to eat. Just remember this, even before the fall, okay? So, but my, my, my scripture is not about Genesis, it's about Proverbs. And what are we gonna take from Proverbs 6? We're going to work hard like the Proverbs 6 ant, no matter what your work is. Got it? Thank you very much, amen. up here. <laughs> I'm not called the weeping elder for nothing. Um, I, I want these words to, uh, to, to cut home, to cut right to the heart, because it, it did for me. And I'll talk about that as we go. But the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. My um, message is actually a wordless message. It's, it's, it's basically an action. It's shh. Everybody, let's join in. Shh. 
Has anyone ever done that to you before? Have you ever done that to somebody before? Donovan. Shh. Right on time. <laughs> Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. That's it. I can paraphrase that as talking about people is stupid. Be smart and keep your mouth shut. Has that been 10 minutes yet? <laughs> no, no, seriously, I could stop right there because that's basically what it is. But Proverbs 11:12 um, uses what's called antithetic parallelism. Like most of Proverbs has two, it's, it's two um, thoughts or two phrases, two clauses. In antithetic parallelism, the second clause contrasts the first. So whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. We can stop there. That's it. We've learned a lot. But the second part says, but a man of understanding remains silent. And the operative word is the conjunction, but. So but causes us to stop, to think, to reflect, and then to be prepared for what's coming after that. To belittle is to make someone or something seem less significant, to disparage or to depreciate, and in, in a modern sense, to diss. You know, we've all done it, you know. <laughs> when I was young, I, I could imagine Thomas being good at this. Like, when, when you're young, you know, you, you, you get together with your friends and you just, like, hours of dissing. You just talk about each other. And, and, but one thing you don't do is talk about somebody's mama. But it, it's, it's, it's dissing. It's, it's this belittling one's neighbor. And that, that can be funny. You know, it, it, it can be an act of, of fun. But this, vo this verse represents a choice. We have to choose to be like the whoever or to choose to be like the man of understanding. But first, so why do we do this? Why, why, do, we, why do we get, we can get in the habit of belittling people? Some of it, of course, is fun, it feels good, but then the other side, it can be our pride or it can be just a, a mean streak in us. Um, this is kind of where this hits home for me because I, one of my f things that I'm fasting from is political news. I, I became addicted, as Lisa would tell you. Um, but preparing for this study has revealed that instead of looking at political news, I've been watching late night humor. You know, the late night shows in which you talk about belittling, oh, and particularly one person who, who holds the uh, highest seat in office. And the problem is, is that I enjoyed it. I'm sorry, I enjoy hearing it and like, yes, get him, get him, get him, get him. But this verse says, whoever belittles his, his neighbor lacks sense. So the, I'm asking myself, but wait a minute, no, no, no. He's justified in all this, so you know, he deserves it. He deserves every, every little bit of this belittling. So would it be better if I just remain silent and keep it to myself? Or I could simply deny that this person is even my neighbor. And that's when the word of God cuts. Because our neighbor, as Jesus said in Luke 10, 25 to 37, our neighbor may be someone least like us, someone outside of our circles. And the concept of neighbor demands that we have a more of a worldview. Who is our neighbor? It's the person that, 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 that either we would hate 
or hates us. So what does it take to overcome this sin? And it is a sin. If you think about, there may, this may be two ways of belittling someone, in their presence or behind their back. Is there a difference? First, we have to have the will to develop wisdom and understanding. Because again, a man of understanding has an action remaining silent. And, and this aspect of, of, of silence, that's a, that's a, it's an action. It's an action. Just like the action of, of putting your finger to your mouth and shh, it's an action. It takes effort to close the gate under our nose. Secondly, we just simply have to develop self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit, according to Galatians 5, 23. And then also we have to put it in practice because it's not easy. But we have to make that change. So I have three questions for you. Does it matter whether or not one is in the presence of his neighbor if and when he belittles him. So is it okay behind the back or is it something that we should just feel bad uh, in somebody's presence? The second, is it okay to do so as long as it's kept private? As long as we don't share it with anyone, keep it to ourselves. This morning, uh, I, I kind of stumbled a little bit as I was reading the opening. And one of the reasons is, I got to, uh, I read 101st Psalm, and I got to verse 5. Psalm 101, verse 5. And this is where the Lord will cut the, the speaker himself. Psalm 101, verse 5 says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. So those questions we will answer in part two. <laughs> Thank you.